Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Okay, people, today we have the one and only Elsa Valfrey and her husband, Donald Valfrey from Valfrey. And you've probably heard of Valfrey. Who hasn't heard of Valfrey? They have over a million followers for their brand. And I just love their story. It's an incredible story. Ilsa started drawing as a young girl in Tijuana growing up and started eventually posting her artwork to social media and it caught fire. She found her audience, people embraced her work and in a matter of seemingly no time, she had over a million followers and has just been growing her work into a fashion brand as well as as well as Web3 and a virtual world of NFTs. And yet her and her husband couldn't be more down to earth, couldn't be more cool. And their success has not gone to their heads. And they have the, they have everything you need, really. They have the perfect trifecta. They have talent, they have smarts, and they are nice. They are smart, talented, and nice. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. That is the tr- the holy trinity <laughs> right there. Smart, talented, and nice. And I so enjoyed talking to these guys and this husband and wife team. I mean, it's really one of those stories that it's like one plus one equals three. They really need each other because Donald helps Ilsa focus on her artwork. And of course, Ilsa gives, you know, amazing artwork to Donald to build into products and build the company. And they're doing all this while they're raising two kids as well. And so their story is very relatable for me personally, and probably you too. And it's just inspiring because it's a modern success story. I mean, we hear about people who have gone viral or things that have gone viral, but you know, rarely do we actually meet people who have done this. And so for an artist to make art, take it to the people via the web, find their audience, find success, find love is an awesome thing. It's a very modern story. And so I just was honored and delighted to be able to talk to Ilsa and Donald. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from Ilsa Valfrey and Donald Valfrey. Issa and Donald, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh here. my gosh, it's such an honor. You guys are so busy. And the fact that you took time to come on our show, it's an honor. 
We appreciate you having us, man. We're excited. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love your story so much because there are so many layers to it, right? It's a modern success story, not just of how brands get built, but these days, but how artists build their brands and how you connect in a legitimate, organic way. Isa, I love your story. I mean, you were, dad encouraged you to draw because he said it was good therapy. Is that, <laughs> is that right? Yes. I'm the youngest of three siblings and I grew mm-hmm. up around like uh, grownups a lot. So I think my mom kind of kept me entertained and my dad kept like a lot of crayons and markers around the house. So definitely growing up, drawing was a big part of my life. You know, it's always has been. It's been my therapy. It's my Zen moment. I try to do it every day. Brings me, honestly, makes me really happy. It's like a feel good thing for me to do. Sure, sure. So then as you were drawing, at what point did you start posting to social media? So I'm 34. So I've been pre-internet and after internet. And when social media started to become a thing, like Facebook, especially, no, MySpace, actually, at the end of the day, yeah, that, that's going, although I have you beat, I, I'm a little bit older. I, do you remember Friendster? <laughs> I, I, I'm a little Hold bit on. younger than you guys, yeah, but I'm, not I'm older. Older than yeah. I'm 44. <laughs> so I remember doing that first like friend request from my friend and it was like, yeah, what a Friendster request? What, what is that? I was like, we're, we're friends. Like, what's going on? What is this? Exactly. Exactly. I, I Please continue. Yeah. Like, in, in, at the end of the days of MySpace from Mexico. And I remember I started posting my artwork there, but it really didn't take off until I opened Tumblr and Facebook became more popular. And I was working as a teacher and I kind of wanted to do work for myself. And I was thinking like, what can I do? What am I good at? Or something that it was really like very naive of me to kind of like quit my job and said, like, I'm going to be an artist or I'm going to be like an illustrator. And I quit. I opened up on a blog and, you know, I didn't really know how it worked, you know, how to keep the word out there. And I started to post it on Tumblr with a link back to my blog and, you know, things start to get a little viral on Tumblr. And that was pretty much how it started. That's amazing. I love the fact that you were a teacher. You had a whole life as a teacher. What were you teaching arts? What were you teaching? No, I, at the time I was 21 Mm -hmm. and I just started working as a Montessori teacher for preschoolers and uh, really random. I was not expecting to study that, but I end up doing it and I don't regret it, but it was mm-hmm. not my calling. And then sure. I was, you know, it was kind of like, I really wanted to travel and just be able to be like more free, I guess. So I jump into like the illustrating world. I'm smiling right now because you said you were a teacher at Montessori. My son just graduated Montessori last night. We were at, he had a little musical performance, him and all the little kids. So, uh, yeah, so we love Montessori. Big fans. Pardon me? Isn't it the best? I love it. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's so cool. So then, right. So you're, you, as you say, (laughs) sort of naively, maybe assuming like things are going to go great, which by the way, like that is the boldness, right? That entrepreneurs have to have sometimes. Sometimes you just have to jump and build the airplane, you know, while you're, while you're, you know, trying to fly. Right. Totally. And I always encourage people to, even though twenties are for fun and being a teenager too, I think it's important to teach the younger generations that it's important to start young, whatever it is that you like, because you're more naive and that makes you more brave. You jump into things and you make mistakes but the youngest you start is the best. Like, I don't imagine doing that, like quitting my job at 30, for example, I'm 34, and then say, oh, I'm going to be an illustrator because now you have more like knowledge of things, how things work. And maybe those thoughts makes you insecure. So I'm glad I started at 21. Like I quit my job and I thought it was going to be so easy and it wasn't, but I do not regret the journey. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I sort of envy about the quote unquote younger generation is that, you know, kids these days literally can launch a business, launch a brand, launch their careers in their bedrooms while living with mom and dad in high school. I couldn't do that coming up. I mean, that was not, you know, even part of our reality back then. 
there was no YouTube to just go and see how to do anything. You know, you had to call somebody at their house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I'll go back. I had to maybe sometimes write a letter, type a letter. Wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> you got to wait, <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> so do you so, guys think your story is a art success story, a brand success story, a business success story? Like, how do you like to think about your journey and the success that you've achieved thus far? I guess it would be, I guess you'd have to break it down to what era we're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, when mm-hmm. she first started, it was very much, you know, her artwork and, you know, selling prints and stickers and tote bags and things like that. You know, but I think she always had it in her mind that she wanted to create a brand based around the art. So mm-hmm. I think it kind of like rides the line between mm. both industries and it always has, you know, yeah. she's really influenced by fashion and grew up mm-hmm. around her aunt who ran a successful fashion brand out of Mexico. So mm-hmm. she grew up seeing them build this machine, you know, and seeing how yeah. what, everything that goes into it. But, you know, the further, I guess we got down the road of going like the fashion route, right. Yeah. There's always been artwork on products but then we started to kind of bring into life the fashion accessories and the apparel items that her girls would wear, almost using them as like models for the fashion accessories, right? Right. So I think the further that we got down that path uh, and the more we were working with like the big box retailers and stuff, we looked up, we're like, you know what, what makes this thing special is the artwork. So we've really been focused on that, you know, and I think we're most excited right now for her just to focus on the art and, you know, products will be something we're we're still making, but I think Mm -hmm. it really just starts with the art and and placing an emphasis there. Yeah. Well, I was just as an outsider, right. I would say that you're absolutely an art success story because you're art centric without the art. There is no brand or company, right. Or products, right. Cause it, it just, your, your Issa, your art is just, I mean, it's the heart and soul of the brand. Is it not? Yeah. And it's, and again, because it became at the beginning was so DIY. It was so, and I think humans in general were drawn to when people are authentically themselves. And I think it was so like, I was so hands on at the beginning, you know, Donald really has stepped in and like really made this like, you know, a company and as, you know, like a, a real thing, if you want to call it. But I think that the roots of it, it's like, it was just literally me drawing whatever was in my head and then just doing tote bags and stickers or prints. And I think people feel drawn to that, our customers or community that we have built over the years. That's why I think your story is sort of envious by so many companies and brands out there because it did kind of grow from the grassroots. I mean, you really found your community or the community found you vice versa. You, it wasn't like you started off saying, oh, I'm going to launch a brand necessarily. You started off just trying to make your art, sharing it with the world. And there was a legitimate, honest, sincere connection. Totally. And also... When I started, again, being so naive, I thought like, oh, I'm going to be an illustrator and I'm going to be in galleries. And, you know, there's a traditional way to how artists kind of like sometimes can make a living, which is like being in galleries, uh, selling art pieces, which is awesome. But, you know, when I started, I got snubbed. Is that how you say it? Like, uh, get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, snubbed. Get snubbed, yes. snubbed a little bit. Yes. Snubbed a little bit, which is fine. Like, I think... Sometimes not fitting in a box is your superpower because mm. it makes you create your own doors and your own paths. Totally. And yes, yes. I feel like if I wish everybody can know this, that even though you get snubbed by something or a close a door closes, that there's other ways you can go, you know, and build your own lane and build your own world. And I think the internet has been my best friend for the last 12 years because it really has been my gallery, you know, and I couldn't exhibit anywhere because they didn't get it or I was just too obvious or whatever they think. And it's okay. The internet has always been so warm to me. And starting the brand with Donald was pretty much like our gift shop. Right, right, right. And, you know, this is a story, right, that we hear a lot from artists who have found some, what shall we say, commercial success among 
uh, social media or what have you, because they did have to, maybe they were snubbed or rejected by the conventional art world. And then they had to go fend for themselves. But the truth of the matter is, and Donald as a businessman, I know will be able to appreciate this. It's like, that's just the gallery system is just one business model, just one. And by the way, it doesn't really serve most artists out there. Like there's way more artists than galleries. And so thank goodness, you know, now we have the internet, we have tools and artists can innovate new business models and go straight to their fans. Great. Go straight to the people and find their audience. And, you know, and and that's what any business is trying to do, even galleries. Yes. And the beautiful thing about, I think, the internet in general is that I always, because sometimes I get asked, like, how can I start to do, I don't know, a brand or be an artist? And I, you know, and I say, you know, the cool thing is that with the internet, it's a window, it's a stage. And even though maybe your neighborhood or your town doesn't like what you do, maybe someone in Germany and Japan will like it. You know, we're so blessed and lucky to be able to have that access to people that probably, if like back in the 80s, you will probably sell, I don't know, a t-shirt and, you know, probably the people in your town wouldn't like it, but now you can put it online and someone will find it and they will become your customer or fan or client, whatever you want to call it. So Isa, how lucky are you that you met Donald? Uh, <laughs> probably like the luckiest. I am, I am, I am, I am. Like honestly, like Donald has being such a, he's like this weird, rare breed that he's very creative himself, but he's very creative. He's very artistic, but he also has that gene that he's an incredible businessman. So I'm not like that. So it's perfect because he brings- You're such an artist. But yeah, but he's also like, it's so responsible and so yeah. like, has it's on top of things and mm. yeah, he's great. I'm a lucky, lucky gal. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Uh, we <laughs> we met at an after party of Coachella. Uh, nice. A, yeah, yeah. It was a place called Neon Carnival, and it was it was really interesting. Eleven was, eleven years ago this April. Uh-huh. Bravo, <laughs> bravo, well yeah, done. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing that the band wasn't that great so that you guys went backstage and met you know it's like oh yeah they, we're, we're gonna skip this one let's go backstage and, and have some fun and they you know it's true love love at first sight i love it yeah modern totally. modern love story <laughs> there you go and that's what's so great about your story you have so many interesting layers and levels and connections you know it is a modern story on so many levels and you know kind of doing some research for today with our show for our conversation, Issa, you know, you talked about, I read an article, you were talking about growing up in Tijuana and being surrounded by graffiti and how that infused and inspired your aesthetic. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, growing up in Tijuana and how that made you who you are today? Yeah. Tijuana is a very unconventional city, you know, for many, many reasons. It's a very multicultural town because you have people from all over South America that want to cross the border legally or illegally and they end up staying in Tijuana. So it's a it's a very passing town with a lot of people that end up staying. So you have I think a lot of broken dreams sometimes, you know? And I feel like sometimes that brings creativity out of people. So there's a lot of like for example, like the food scene, it's incredible. You know, I, I had like my best meals in Tijuana, actually. This, it's a really good movement of that. And also with art, again, there's not, a, obviously there's galleries and stuff, but it's not as like Mexico City or Guadalajara where you find museums and parks that are just like dedicated to like art installations. Like that only happens in the big cities. And so Tijuana, it's a very rare mix of cultures and also with art everywhere you look at on the streets, meaning the street art. Yes. 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 I have a confession to make. Please don't hold this against me. While Mm -hmm. I have traveled in Mexico and I love where I've been many beautiful places, I have never been to Tijuana. Never. Like, what you is wrong with me? With me? You have to go with a yeah, local. I'll take you, you up on it. <laughs> what's, let's what's go. What's interesting about TJ is I, I used to live in San Diego for a long time and you know, I surf. So I would go down there and, and surf. And, you know, we've been out a couple times in like downtown TJ. You know, when we started dating, there was like a lot of 
craziness going on down there. And I think a lot of the Americans became kind of scared to go down there. But what I noticed about TJ is it is a very like transient place where there's a lot of people just like passing through or they get stuck there, you know? And what I noticed during those times was, you know, one, it was everybody would come up to me and be like, hey, man, what, what are you doing here? What's going on? You know, and everybody's so friendly, you know, especially like hanging out in her group of friends. It was really awesome to get the the local perspective. And I, I didn't really get that before when I went down there. I was like traveling with other, you know, gringos to the area and kind of doing the typical things that you do, you know, down the paved roads. But during that time, I think, you know, Tijuana really kind of started looking inwards. Like the whole economy wasn't really facing outwards where it was catering to the gringos that were coming down there. It was more, there was this local like indie scene popping up when some of these places we go out down there, like, I mean, I was having way more fun down there with her than I was hanging out here in LA. You know, it was amazing bands. And I mean, she, the food down there is the best in the world. It's incredible. The culinary scene. I mean, down in Valle de Guadalupe, the, the vineyards just south of the border, uh, Ensenada, downtown TJ, there's, there's so much good food going on there. It's a, it's a special place. And like, if you see her neighborhood, it's uh, she grew up in Playas de Tijuana, which is the first beach you come to in TJ. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. border wall actually goes through her neighborhood out into the ocean. So you can look right through the fence and there's the U.S. right there. It's a really interesting worldview that she grew up with. And, um, she, you know, she grew up really feeling and experiencing both cultures mm-hmm. and for me, I can really see that in her aesthetic. I can tell like it's really influenced her. She, she's got both cultures in her veins, you know. Yeah, like I, I, you know, my both my I'm like full Mexican. Like, like both my dad was born in Tabasco, south of Mexico. Like I was born in Sonora, but I I grew up pretty much in Tijuana. So California culture has always been a big part of me growing up because I remember we used to get. The KPBS, because where we were located, where I used to get a lot of like American channels and my TV. And I was a big couch potato growing up. So I watched all the American like TV and TV shows. And so I got really familiar like with the slang and, you know, my dad. So in Tijuana, it's really cool because if you have a tourist visa, you know, you can go back and forth, whatever you want. And my dad used to like to put gas in our car in America because he thought it lasted more. <laughs> so we used to cross the border twice a week. That was our thing, me and my dad. My dad who wants to come with me to San Diego and have a burger, have in and out, and go pump the gas? And that's what we used to do all the time. So, and then go to the stores and, you know, like I, even though like I'm Mexican, like I have this appreciation for American pop culture, especially, you know, mm. and like, especially being in Tijuana and being next to the most, I think one of the most influential states in the States, mm. you know, mm. and then coming often to LA growing up. So yeah, it's, it's a very unique place to grow up. Period. Yeah. It, well, and by the way, culture. right. Right. Well, and to be fair, you know, like, again, like I said, I haven't been to TJ, but I have spent some time in San Diego and Donald San Diego is kind of a, a weird spot as well. I love it. It's beautiful, but you've got that border town thing. I mean, you've got the military, you've got the VC, you've got the surf culture, you've got, I mean, there's just this interesting fusion of, of different cultures, even in San Diego. Totally. It's a, you're coexisting with a lot of different cultures there. It all kind of like collides and it's really interesting. San Diego is such a rich city. It's one of the richest cities in the States. And then when you cross over into TJ, it's just a whole other world there, you know? And like, there's really nice parts of TJ too. But when you first cross in, it's like, it's crazy. Immediately. You know? it's, yeah. it's like, wow. It's really, it's really <laughs> in your face. It's almost like downtown LA. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, right, right. so Donald, I mean, how did you become the businessman that you are? I mean, clearly you have a creative muscle as well. Issa's already shouted out to your creative prowess, but you know, clearly you've got the executive function happening as a CEO and helping her build her brand and productize the brand and run a team. And so what prepared you for this? Oh, man. I think I did a lot of bouncing around trying to figure out where I fit in the world. The one thing that's been constant is that, you know, I've worked for myself since I was 20 years old. My father worked out in the oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. I grew up in the South. And Mm -hmm. I saw him work for, he worked for Chevron Refinery for, Mm -hmm. I guess, about 20 years. And I saw, he hurt his back on the job. 
And uh, they basically disposed of him, you know, they tried to get rid of him and, uh, and they did. And I saw what he went through. And so I think that created the entrepreneurial spirit. I got out to California when I was 18 and I was really into, uh, I was a DJ. I was really into collecting records. I was, uh, I was playing all over town, I lived in Sacramento for a while. I was throwing these parties because I'd kind of come up like going to parties in New Orleans and seeing them bring in all these international DJs and was really inspired by this new music. You know, I was coming out of like this like old punk scene and like grunge had its thing. And I was always into hip hop. I just loved music, you know. And then I got out to California and like I had witnessed how like the parties were going down in New Orleans and it just really wasn't happening like it was, you know, in New Orleans. And so we started throwing these parties and bringing in all these DJs from all over the world. And that whole thing grew. I became friends with these DJs. And then we started, uh, I started to produce records. And then I started a record label that I ran for about 10 years. Oh, right so, on. So um, I was DJing and, you know, and then running this label. I ended up moving the label down to San Diego and was running it from there. And then the whole like Napster LimeWire thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just decimated the music industry, you know? And it was like, I had made a conscious decision when I was 18 because I was already doing, I was already, already had like a job, a career that I wanted. I made the decision not to go to college and decided I was going to go full in on the music industry. We treated it really serious. We put about 120 vinyl records out during those, mm. those 10 years. So I'd had some experience on, you know, making a brand, manufacturing product, distributing products. And I think that really carried over into this ordeal with Ilse, you know, in between that ordeal and, you know, or that business and and working with Ilse on the brand, I've done uh, several other things that I think really like prepared me for this journey. And yeah, that's pretty much kind of how it started though. I love that. I love that. I mean, you know, it's like, it's a journey, isn't it? And, you know, all of those experiences and hardships or ups and downs, whatever, at the end of the day, that makes us who we are and hopefully it makes us stronger and makes us more resilient and, and creative. And uh, I just, I just love that. You know, there is no straight line. You know, I, when I graduated from college back in 1994, I remember the guy speaking said, well, congratulations, but your generation well, be prepared because your generation will probably change uh, jobs eight to 10 times and careers three to five times. And I thought, what the fuck? Why, why did I even go to college? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to, you know, but I mean, it's a journey, right? You know, and your story in, it resonates with me because, you know, my, I'm from the Midwest outside of Chicago. And, um, and my dad was a, was an electrician, worked for us steel and, you know, union guy, whatever. And I saw him getting, you know, basically screwed over, you know, by the company and by, you know, various things. And, and I think that instilled the entrepreneurship spirit in me as well, because you're like, you realize you're on your own, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So you've got to just make your way. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something I felt safer with it, you know, and there's been highs and lows obviously with anything, you know, but ultimately it's been up to me to like get my ass up and go get it. (laughs) And I do believe like, more and more time passes, I really kind of like understand the concept of trust the journey because I feel like everything that has happened in my life and what I've known about Donald's life, it's like, it just leads you where you are today. You know, and even though it's been challenging at times, many times, I feel like I wouldn't change it for anything now that I know where I'm at today. And now when things, because challenging times always happen, I feel like now I'm always reminding me like this is because I need to maybe build character. I'm learning things and everything is for the best eventually. And, you know, you just really just have to trust the journey. And I love that. Like growing up, I remember being so mad at my dad and my mom because my siblings used to live in Mexico City. My sister was born there. And, you know, big cities have cooler things. And I was like, why are you guys brought me here to Tijuana? There's nothing cool here, whatever. But then now I look back and I say, yes, because I needed to understand maybe American culture and having this living in this weird town, which I love now, but at the time I used to complain about because I wouldn't be the creative I am today. You know, I probably wouldn't develop this humor or style if I grew up somewhere else, elsewhere. Mm. 
Yeah. Isn't that funny how when we're young, we're so pissed off after <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, too much. Yeah, we can play like, oh my God, it's it's tough. My daughter, my daughter is nine, going on ten, and she's dealing with that, you know, playground politics, mean girl shit right now. And it's like, I tell you mm. what, you girls, you girls have it worth. I mean, the boys that we just go out back and you know, you rough it up a bit and then we're like hug it out, we're best of friends. It's like the mean girl stuff is like next level, man. I mean, it's like <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I see my daughter in your brand. I do. You know, I was uh listening to an interview you gave and you said something about, you know, every girl wants to be a badass and you want your brand to somehow bring that, you know, badassery or whatever, you know, out of the, or speak to that, you know, in the women, the girls that wear your stuff. And yet there's such a humanity to your work as well. The fact that you put sort of band-aids or scars or something, you know, kind of embedded, you know, sort of subtly to speak to some of that emotional challenge and trauma of growing up and stuff. I mean, that is some, really beautiful, rich artistry there. Again, like I feel like art has been my escape, you know, like we all go through good times and challenging times. But again, like I feel like I always think and encourage people to see the dark times as gas. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, gasoline mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. keep you going because mm-hmm. yes. it brings out of you character and creativity that sometimes you wouldn't get if you wouldn't gone through the things you have gone through. And I see like trauma and whatever as beautiful scars, you know, like they're part of you, but mm. you have to kind of like embrace them, mm. you know, because they're part yes. of you, they're part of your yes. persona and who you are and I don't know. Maybe I'm Mrs. Positive, but I think like, yeah, <laughs> I life, love that. It, 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 because at the end of the day, if, if life won't get better until you embrace <laughs> that and being responsible of yourself. So talk about your characters. Talk about, you know, how you think about them, how you live with them, you know, what attributes and characteristics they're meant to exude. You know, I'm just in all candor, I'm just getting to know. I mean, I've been aware mm-hmm. of your work and been aware of you, but I I haven't really done a deep dive on the brand. So, you know, help me understand, you know, the DNA and the essence of your characters. Well, I mean, they all have the same face. Mm-hmm. I think, again, like humor has been also a scape of reality for me. And I think they're just like, I don't use a lot of text. I, I actually don't use any text on my work, but I think what I want people to get from my work is that I want them to smirk and to... I don't know. It's a very good question. I don't know who the girls are. <laughs> I don't know. It's, like, it's, hard, it's hard to put it into words. I'm sorry. I, I, you know what? I need to think more about this. Yeah, yeah. Because I get asked not many times, but I don't know. It's just uh, it's the, they're part of my head, I guess. It's interesting. Mm. For, <laughs> I don't know. I just see Ilse. Uh, she's just always drawing. You know, it's just what she does. I think a lot of people are asking, like, they ask her, like, how can I become an artist? How can I start a brand? I, can just, for, I think her answer should just always be just do it. Just draw a lot. It's, it's what she does. She's not very social. She doesn't go out a lot. She sits I home. I mean, I like, am social, but not like not that. Really. I'm, not, I'm not like a party person. <laughs> She's, she gets excited about an idea in her head, and she can't wait to get it out, you know? And that's it's just what she does, you know? I'm not a very wordy person. I'm a chit chatter, but I'm not like <laughs> someone who like I will write about with this piece is this. I'm more like an I'm a very visual person, so it's hard for me to express what are they, you know? It's- yeah, well, no, you know what, it, and that totally resonates because you know I've been you know working with artists and around the arts my whole life, and artists at the end of the day, a lot of times like they feel their art. You know, they make their art, but then to, and it's, it feels, at least in my experience, there's such a integration that it's hard to articulate sometimes, you know, because it's so embedded, you know, it's hard to separate yourself in a way to be able to say, oh yeah, it's this and this and this. 
You, you know, because it's too close. It's too close to home, or something. You know. Yeah, it's exactly what you just said. You. It's just like, like, what I said, right? <laughs> I want to copy your response. I'm going to say it next time. <laughs> so, how does it feel though to have a million fans? How does it feel to have people line up around the corner or wait, you know, to buy your work? I mean, it must be so humbling and exhilarating, and you know, it must be really complicated. Totally. I feel like you said, it's like such an honor, you know, mm. I remember I still get the same feeling as when I started to get like two views, two visits on my blog. I was like, mm. who is the person? Who <laughs> right, that? right. You know, like who spent a minute and 26 seconds scrolling through my blog? So it's so, you know, it's such a nice feeling and the energy that I need to keep going, you know, is so inspiring to see them and supporting me, even if they don't purchase anything and just for them to be there, like they're rooting for me. Mm, and it's, mm. and it's such a beautiful, positive community that, you that's, know, it's been built for 10 to 12 years. That's what got me excited to work with my wife. <laughs> right, you know, right, right, because that could go either way. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, we we found our lane, and we do really good, like ninety nine percent of the time. Yes, my but wife would never hire me in a minute. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's more she's hiring me. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but when I saw the reaction online with girls, they find themselves in her work, they relate to it, and they like to tag their other friends, but. What really got me excited is to see the tattoo culture that surrounds it. When people are getting, you know, her work tattooed on them, that's that's for life. And I mean, I was like I often say, like her biggest fan when I saw it, she's got a distinct line to her work. You know, that when you see it, you know it's her. And that's yes. for me what you look for when you're looking to work with an artist, you know. And then when I saw, you know, all the tattoos that were happening with her work, I was like, and just how sweet and sweet everybody was with her online, you know, it was inspiring to be around because, you know, while the internet is, you know, very liberating in some ways, it can also be a, a dark and toxic place, you know, and we've had very little of that over the years, you know, so it has been a really a, a place for positivity and harnessing this beautiful community. I mean, these girls are a lot of fun to create a brand around. You know, they're, they like everything that's uh, extra creative and we love being creative, you know, with the brand and taking Ilse's art and like helping to roll it out across the categories that we do. It's like, it's not like the sleek modern thing that like, I don't know, that stuff's beautiful too. And it's kind of stuff like I wear, but her audience wants something that's just extra creative. And so it just keeps us inspired. Well, and you know, you hit the nail on the head. I was going to bring this up. I mean, the fact that Valfrey is in this unique elite group of brands that like, let's name them, right? Harley Davidson, Disney, Star Wars, that people get tattoos, right? So like, there aren't too many brands that when somebody gets a tattoo, like, you know, they love you, <laughs> right? I mean, and for years, people pointed to Harley. They pointed to to Disney or Star Wars because people, Mickey Mouse, people were getting the tattoo. And you're in that elite world where people love you so much, they're actually putting your art on their bodies. And that's got to be the greatest honor. The biggest. Like, I get asked if they can get it tattooed. And I know a lot of artists you know, asked to be asked, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, do it. <laughs> do it as much as you can. Like to me, it's an honor, like for you to, to commit to a piece in your body like that. Like, wow, please do, do so. Like the most flattering thing I think any creator can get. Well, and then not only is your work being exhibited and beloved and honored, within a physical plane, you know, someone's body, but you guys are, of course, one of the, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but aren't you one of the kind of pioneering trailblazing art brands within web three and NFTs? And I mean, so you're going into a virtual world as well and are in a virtual world and really finding community there as well. Yeah. There's not a lot of women in this space, you know, and I, I was really, I found out about NFTs about, I guess, a little over a year ago. And I, I mean, I found out about NFTs through, you know, what they were going to do for music. 
I was, mm-hmm. I got very excited about that. I was like, wow, they're putting value back in the actual IP. It's not just about licensing anymore because when they, back when I was saying earlier about like Napster and LimeWire, like when that hit the music industry, people quit buying music and that was the main artery for musicians to support themselves. So they had to lean on other avenues of revenue, which were licensing and live shows. Live shows had always been there, you know? Live shows are difficult because for like the middle of the road artists, especially because there's a lot that a lot of expense that goes into it. Typically, there's a lot. There's several people in a project and you got the managers, you got the traveling expenses and so on and you know, so forth. But the selling your actual IP or selling the music to your fans was the main artery. So when I found out about what was happening with NFTs and music, I was like, wow, this is cool because musicians can start to treat their fans as shareholders in their work and kind of bring them along for the ride. So really that's kind of how this whole NFT thing got going. And I was starting to see all the successes that these digital artists were starting to have, like Beeple, especially like, whoa, his work's so incredible, you know? And this was like a, I've heard him speak about it before where it was like, hey, this is like the first time I really had like a, a way to sell my art. I'm a digital artist, you know? And so I started speaking with Ilse about it. I was like, you know, I was like, I feel like you're so uniquely positioned into this space because, you know, she was on the forefront of, you know, art on the internet with what she was doing on her old Tumblr blog and and beyond. And I think her work just really works well in the space. So when I started kind of like, you know, we were having these like late night discussions about it. And one day it just really clicked and she got super excited about it. And once she was excited... I was very excited and the whole team got excited and, you know, we launched a Nifty Gateway project. I think it was about five months ago or so. And we wanted to just test it out and see how it went. That was our first one. And it did really well. We're really, really excited about, you know, continuing to work with that platform. And I think Ilse is, uh, you know, again, I think she's very uniquely positioned, especially as a female Latina in the space. It's exciting. And I like the way that it, you know, beyond the art itself, the technology can connect creators with fans in a whole new way that kind of, you know, removes the middlemen of, uh, especially like the, the social media platforms that now dictate, you know, when we reach our audience and when we don't, you know, is the whole new way that they can like connect and also collaborate there's a lot of beautiful points to the the NFT space. It's it's also like Wild West days still. The technology is still very new and volatile, but it's going to get worked out. I fully believe in it. And I think we just really believe in this space and we're excited to educate our community on it. I think there's a lot of misconceptions in the space that we're, you know, we're looking to use our platform to kind of like help educate on the space and teach them about things to look out for and we're learning ourselves, you know, we're still very new at this and uh, just excited about where it's all headed. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, this idea about it being the wild west and it is, of course, it's going to settle down, right? And be less dangerous at some point, but, but it's so damn exciting. I mean, I'm thrilled for it. Listen, anything that helps people, let alone artists, but you know, people put you know, monetize their time and monetize their energy and monetize and protect their time and energy. I mean, I'm down for, I mean, technology that is making human beings redundant or making them obsolete. I'm not down for, you know, but what's so great about this technology, it feels like there's a power shift back to the people, Mm -hmm. back to the artists and, and the, and the fans that follow them. It's uh, it's pretty neat what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm selling, you know, using the gold rush analogy, Wild West gold rush analogy. I guess I'm selling uh, shovels. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not making any, any NFTs yet. I've wondered about what a podcast, are there podcasts that are NFTs? Do you know, maybe we should launch a podcast that's an I NFT. Know. <laughs> I know it's I working know. <laughs> really, really well in the ticketing industry. You know, maybe there's something that has, you know, something around that angle. I've never thought yeah. about it. But there's there's yeah. like, everything is going to be an NFT, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Because there's so many good use cases for it. You know, what I really love about it too is it it creates this two-way conversation, you know, between us and the community that we really haven't had before. You know, we're we're so busy creating, you know, and, and building. 
it's been tough to find the time to have these conversations, you know, mm. but with this new PFP project, it's like, we've got this new community now on discord mm. and we're having, you know, back and forth conversations. We're hearing in real time, like what they think about stuff. It's going to be awesome to have this type of audience there that's there for the art and is helping us kind of think through things. You know, it's always been social media has been so one sided, like, hey, look at this new piece or look at this new item that we're we just made or very much like salesy. It feels Web 2 feels very spammy, you know, and it's just yeah, the way it right. is. It's just the yeah, way it is. Right. Web 3 is different. The whole psychology is different. You know, mm, that's the mm. stuff that gets me real psyched on this space. Yeah, and I can, I can feel the energy. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely pumped. I love it. it I love it. It solves so many of the issues that I had with running the the company. You know, it's like it felt too spammy, and like I, I I'm really excited about building a community together. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's gonna be neat. It'll say you were gonna say something. Oh, oh, no, Donald like, interrupted you. It'll say oh, no, 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 I, went, no, no, no. <laughs> I was just going going to comment that I feel like in five years Web three will be. You know, I mean, it's here, but I feel like we're early. There's so much to learn and get educated of, you know. So I think also using our platform to educate people what we know, I think it's also important and exciting, you know. Because there's a lot of misconceptions as well. Um, so... It's, it's, it's fun. I'm not sucking up to Donald right now. Let me be clear. But <laughs> Ilse, you are so lucky to have Donald because, I mean, you know, it I seems am. like he's I able to. Pre- I always, yes. I always, I always yes. Well, because, I mean, you know, besides the pure love of it, of each other, the practical nature of having a CEO that truly cares for you and can protect you as an artist to focus on the art while the company is growing and while, because if you were trying to run it or whatever, right. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily be able to focus on the art and everything would suffer. The business would suffer. Your art would suffer. But the fact that you have Donald advocating for you, protecting you, loving you, nurturing you, you know, protecting you, whatever, you know, it's like a win-win. You guys are like one plus one equals three. You know, I love that. Totally. And I feel like family businesses, Get, I know can, they can go wrong, but I mm. think if, like everybody has, you know, it's like everybody has the best interest for each other, you know? Yes, so yes, yes. even though it's art based and we're doing literally for the art, you know, there's obviously we need to live and we need to pay rent and, you know, eat. <laughs> but um, yeah, Donald is incredible. So I'm a very, again, we got to do more of these lucky, podcasts. Lucky gal. Elsa, Elsa, don't fuck it up, Elsa. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> I, 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 I often think that. <laughs> Guys, I'm so. She talks about it a lot about like family businesses and stuff. And it's, it's true. I feel like when you have a family business, like you got to make it work, you know, in a whole other way than just having a business partner, you know, that you're not related to. I think that's why they work out. I think maybe a higher percentage of the time, because you're in a situation together that goes beyond beyond the monetary situation you know it's beyond mm-hmm. just like you know the money it is yeah, yeah. you gotta make it work you know make it work and, uh, and- well, we both really love it we both really love it this shit's a lot of fun it's so yeah. challenging yeah. challenging you know we uh we grew this business by ourselves. we've never had an investor we grew up from the second bedroom of our apartment and we've i think we've just been really I don't know. I, I hate to say it like that, but I think we've been really smart about the decisions that we've made. You know, we knew we had to do it on our own to kind of get to where we're at. And now we're so glad, glad that we did it that way too, without having venture capitalists in our business. You know, it allowed allowed us during COVID when we were here raising two kids in downtown LA to be able to look up and be like, you know what, let's let's move to this little jungle beach town in Mexico. We wouldn't have been able to do that with VCs in our business. So we're, no, no. we're really thankful that we uh, we never did that. We live in a culture where we sort of celebrate the entrepreneur who raised a bunch of money with a VC or whatever the case might be. When in fact, I mean, it's like, you know, on a certain level, it's like a deal with the devil. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way. You know what I mean? But it can be right. And suddenly you're answering to people who may not have your best interests at heart or may not care about the art. They only care about the bottom line or whatever the case might be. And, And the truth of the matter is, I mean, for decades, family businesses were built or businesses were built by the family exactly the way you guys are doing it with no money, you know, all hard work, you know, blood, sweat and tears, all hands on deck. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, my 
some, you know, many of my friends whose families, you know, have businesses, you know, their grandfather, you know, immigrated from Germany or wherever, or, you know, Mexico maybe, and built this company, you know, and the kids are maybe running it now or whatever, but it was, they didn't do it with VC money. They did it with family and it can get complicated. Family is the other F word sometimes, right? <laughs> but, but, uh, you <laughs> <laughs> but but I love it. I mean, it's a beautiful story you guys have. I mean, you know, I wish you not the but the best. I'm a big fan. I can uh, money. I'm, I'm gonna make my daughter. I'm gonna make sure my daughter knows uh, about Valfrey and uh, is hooked up. Thank you. We'd, uh, we'd love to send her a package. Yes. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh. oh, stop yeah, it. Stop it. Send no, two. Stop it. No, no. Send three. Stop it. Hey, did speaking of kids, did, did I just hear that you said you had two kids? We have two kids. Yes. You have two. Congratulations. I missed that part. Thank That's amazing. You. How old are Thank they? You. Nine and six. Nine. Oh, so we're in the same boat, basically. Yes. Nice. How many kids do you have? Two. And that's where I'm supposed to make that crude joke about two that I know of, uh, but I'm not going to make that joke. But yes, my wife and I adopted two children and uh, my daughter Eden is nine and my son Ellis is five. And uh, man, we're in it, aren't we? I mean, nine and six, that's deep. <laughs> we're in it deep. <laughs> we only have like, I was still Donald, like they grow so fast and like we have like three more years of them being like kids. Yes. And I'm like, I just want to soak it up, you know, because I know like once they become teenagers, it's going to be a completely set of new rules and new life. <laughs> That's right. Well, congratulations, guys. What a beautiful story you have. Beautiful family. Will you do me a favor and come back on the show sometime and keep us posted about all the great stuff you're doing? Definitely. Of course. Yeah, this has been fun, man. Thanks thank for you having so us. much for having us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And now that I know that you guys have kids, like, like I've been thinking about trying to do, you know how like... I don't know, like schools or communities, they would have like the summer picnic or the the carnival or whatever. Like I want to do like artists and kids, like a pick, like a big, like kind of party picnic for artists and artist families with artists, you know, with kids and just like do like a big little party in the park or something. I, that will be I digress. Awesome. <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah. right. Moon houses. Here we come. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks so much for your time and don't go anywhere we're gonna we're gonna hang tight just for a minute sure okay Thank, thanks Thank thanks you. for coming bye bye thanks for listening to the not real art podcast please make sure to like this episode write a review and share with your friends on social also remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes not real art is produced by crew west studios in los angeles our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.